Hey, uh, welcome again to Element City Church. I'm Jack, one of the pastors here. If we haven't had a chance to meet, hello. I'd love to, to say hi to you afterwards. And, and um, we're glad to, to gather every Sunday to worship together and to lean into that and to lean into God's word, which we're going to do now. So if you got your Bibles, you can actually pull those out or you got smartphones, you actually have Bibles on them. And you can go to Uversion through the Bible app. Uh, that is a free download. And we've been in this series called Relationship Refresh, knowing that every single one of us is in relationship with people. And yes, this series kind of leans in a romantic direction. But I know some of you are like, hey, I'm done. I am done with that, and that's okay, because the reality is you're still gonna be in relationships with people, and a lot of these principles are gonna be applicable across the board in those relationships, and you're gonna have opportunity to practice this, and today, I want us to lean into an area that we will all face and, and be with, but we've been starting this series with some questions, and so here's what I want you to do again. Uh, let's do, let's see, two thumbs up is a yes, okay? The X symbol, is a no, okay? We'll just kind of get some participation going, okay? So here's the question. This is about relationships. Here we go, first one. Should you spend equal time with each other's families during the holidays? So X or yes, okay. Depends who's sitting next to you. Um, so should you always answer the phone when he or she calls? Where's my wife at? Um, see her. Yes. Hey, babe. <laughs> I see you now. Okay. Um, here's, a, here's a big one. Uh, toilet paper debate. Uh, under, how many of you are under? Uh, it is always like a waterfall, people. It's over, okay? That's the way. It's, can I get an amen? Okay, so if you have debate about that in your home, then good, uh, good luck. Um, so should you ever go to bed angry? Should you ever go to bed angry? Now, I may be setting you up a little bit because we're gonna kind of go tackle this a little bit. Uh, this next one actually was famous last spring and, and I want you to, to kind of look at it and think about it. Think back to what you were doing when you saw this. Here it is. What are the real colors of this dress? What are the real colors of this dress? Is it black and blue or gold and white? How many of you are gold and white? You are correct. Um, black and blue. How many, anyone? Really? Yeah, you're wrong. Um, so, just gonna say, but do you remember when this was like the big phenomenon in the spring of 2015? It was kind of like people were arguing over this. Like they were unfriending people on Facebook because they disagreed with them. And so this conflict is a part of things. And that's actually where we're gonna go tonight in dealing with how do you navigate conflict in relationships? How many of you have had conflict in relationships before? Raise your hand, you're among friends. That should be every hand. Because the reality is no one escapes conflict. No one gets a free pass. They're gonna be a part of your relationships. Even healthy, mature, like Christ-centered, healthy, loving, I'm in this for you kind of relationships, even you are gonna have conflict. And you know this to be true because you've lived life and you've seen this play out in your life. And tonight, I want us to look at what does the Bible have to say? What does the scriptures kind of unpack some tools and some tips, some principles, some, uh, some wisdom for us as it comes to navigating conflict 
in our relationships, whether that's work relationships, whether that's friendships, whether that's romantic relationships, that all, every single one of us are gonna navigate conflict. And, and the reality is conflict is gonna be a part of your relationships. And so as you go through relationships, how does that begin to develop? See, it's not conflict that's really the issue. The issue is how do I resolve conflict? Because if you don't work toward resolution, that's when conflict becomes unhealthy. Conflict is meant to be a healthy thing and can be a healthy thing and even a necessary thing at times. But if you don't work to resolve it, if you don't work to, to not let it go underground and not become subversive in your relationship, then that's where it gets sideways. And so what does the scriptures have to say about this? And one of those things I'm not even gonna touch on because I know you already know it. And that's forgiveness. Like, you, you gotta forgive. Like, that's gotta be just a constant flow in your relationship. I may touch on that at the very end, but like, I'm gonna trust that you kinda know that. That's why you're kinda sitting here. But I wanna look at four key things that I see throughout the scriptures that help us understand what does this look like to begin to understand and get our mind around how do you navigate conflict in a healthy way? The first one is this. Acknowledge the role of pride and take responsibility for your own stuff. Your mama was right. You are responsible for who? It rhymes with who? You. You're responsible for you. That you've got to take responsibility for your own stuff. You've got to learn to recognize the pride inside of yourself. Because here's what happens in relationships. Relationships, in a lot of ways, are based on expectations. That I have these either spoken or unspoken expectations on Amy or upon any relationship or friendship that I have. And when things don't go as expected, then my expectations, I become what? I become maybe hurt, I become disappointed, I become jaded, I become something. Something happens, it doesn't just stay the same. It doesn't just get washed under. I can maybe forgive and let it go pretty quick, but other times you can't. And so you struggle with that until you can learn to forgive and you realize forgiveness is really about letting yourself free not necessarily even the other person. And so you're, you're wrestling with things. And so you have to acknowledge pride because here's what pride does. Pride says, hey, you didn't live up to my expectations. And I am worth you living up to my expectations. And so pride begins to kind of circle in here, begin to say to us, hey, uh, this person wronged you. This person hurt you. This person needs to follow through on their expectations and what they're supposed to live up to. And pride has a way of just kind of getting everything centered around us. See, you have a condition. It's called the human condition. And left to yourself and left to myself, we easily drift into self-centeredness. Has anyone ever faced this within yourself? I mean, maybe a couple of you. Um, but I know most of you probably don't struggle with this at all. But you, you struggle, maybe you kind of lean toward the self-centeredness side of life where things revolve around you and you want things to revolve around you and you struggle with this. This is kind of what we leaned into last week when we said Jesus kind of shows up on the scene and he introduces to his disciples in John 13. He says, look, I want you to love like I've loved you. And love was not just a noun, not just something that you talked about. It was an action. And that's why Jesus said, I want you to love the way I've loved you. It's an action-oriented term. He put action items to love. It wasn't just something that you feel. And in our culture, love often gets narrowed down to, well, this is how I feel. And if I feel loved or I feel loving, then I'll act loving. Well, the truth is that's not 
what the scriptures actually call us to. It calls us to love, no matter how you feel. Feeling's not a part of it. Because here's the truth, Jesus knew, that if I act loving, I'm probably gonna begin to lean and learn how to love in the process. And that's why love is this action. We looked at this idea of putting the other person's needs before you, that we talked about this idea of make love a verb, keep love a verb, that any DC Talk fans. So love a verb with that. And the idea of not just seeking your own interest, but also the interest of others. Remember we read Romans uh, chapter 12, verse nine through 10. Your love must be sincere. Listen, you can't fake love. You can fake being loving for a little while. But true, sincere love, you can't fake for the long haul. And so the scriptures, Paul's writing, says, I want your love to be sincere. I want you to be devoted to one another. Honor one another above yourself. This is where we have to kind of look in the mirror and realize, hey, is pride creeping up in me? And I've got to take responsibility for my own stuff, my own past issues, my own current issues, my own future issues. I've got to work on me because I'm responsible for me. I can't control anybody else, but I can take responsibility for me. Pride, one of the big problems with pride is it has a way of distorting reality. That's why healthy, sound, sane, responsible people who have great responsibility and great intellect and great ability in life can lose it, right? Have you ever been in an airport and you see a person just going off on a tirade on a person who's just a counter clerk? Like, they didn't arrange your flight. They didn't sit there and go, hee hee hee, watch this. You know, they didn't do any of that, right? And you have a businessman who has probably spent thousands of hours in the air and dealing with people, and he's up there red in the face, just going off on this person. Now his IQ is probably really high. That's why he does what he does. But in that moment, he's lost it. In fact, Daniel Goleman uh, wrote a book called Emotional Intelligence. Great book if you wanna read it, especially if you're an entrepreneur in business. This is an awesome book, and he talks about there uh, this idea of the amygdala hijack. The amygdala is in your temporal lobe. It's part of, if you've ever read about the brain, I don't read about the brain a lot, but this is really fascinating to me. The amygdala is a small little part of your brain in the middle that kind of controls, it's the seat of your emotions. It controls your emotions. Your, your kind of, your, your neocortex is in the front, kind of controls your rational part of how you think and process things. And your amygdala sometimes can get hijacked, that's the term he used, when something happens, a stimulus comes in, a circumstance changes, something happens in your life, and for some reason it triggers kind of that fight uh, or flight mode within you from ancient times and kind of deep within you. And that's why you can see people sometimes who have what we call an overreaction. Have you ever seen that happen? Um, Has anyone ever had this happen to you? Where like, There's something inside of you, like maybe you're a mom, right? And you've been around with your kids all day. And then you're at the store, you're grocery shopping, and and all of a sudden they're like showing you how they can juggle three apples. And it's awesome. And then you're like, ah, and you lose it. Because it's been one thing after that. It's been building. And the, the small little, like, small stimulus that shouldn't cause this overreaction. And what Daniel writes about in the studies that he does is this idea that your amygdala kind of gets hijacked. 
and it's not communicating anymore with the neocortex, not your rational brain. That's why when someone is that emotional, you can't process with them. Why? Because they can't process right now. Their amygdala has been hijacked and their emotions are just off the charts and you've seen this play out. That's why your mom was wise when she said, hey, when you find yourself getting angry, you should count to what? For some of you, maybe 100. Um, but <laughs> your mom said, hey, you should count to 10. Why is that? Because science can help prove that she was right. That when you actually pause and you take 10 seconds and you calm yourself down, that maybe you can even keep your amygdala in check and your brain functioning properly. That's why mama was right. That it matters that you check these things. I, I put a little uh, thing in there. Here's what I said. For some of you, you want to resolve tension when it comes up in, in conflicts and you can be set off by the simplest of things. And, and I hear people all the time say, I've got an anger problem. And I want to say, no, you got a you problem, okay? Because I know that. I know that anger problem. And it was a me problem. And I had to work on that. And no one else can. Other people can help and they can point you in the right directions, but you have to own that. And you've got to realize pride plays a big role in that. That this idea of control is probably deep down in you. And there's something wrong with that. Because, friend, you are not in control like you think you are. You can have influence in your situation, and hey, you probably should. But as you seek to resolve this tension, resolve conflict that begins to come up in life, it's about seeking the interest of others, not just your own. And when you only have it about you, it's really easy for it to become about you. And it's really easy for anger to flare up. It's really easy for things to kind of go sideways. And so this challenge is saying, hey, look, this is about, for some of you, it's about winning the argument. And it almost becomes like a game for you. And if it was just you and me at coffee and we could talk about it, you'd probably even admit to that. That you know what, when I'm in an argument, I just wanna win. And even if I'm wrong, I will win. And it's like this, can I just point that out? That's pride. There, there's no other thing to call that. Because for some of us, you're so bent on winning the argument instead of winning the person's heart. And maybe here's the principle to keep in mind. You may win the argument, or you may win the person's heart, but you may struggle to do both. And you've got to choose wisely what matters most to you. And so in these conflict moments that will come up, no one gets a pass on them, that you've got to decide for yourself, hey, am I going to recognize the pride of my own self? See, pride is easy to recognize in other people. It's when the mirror is pointed in our direction that it's difficult to see, isn't it? Because we don't like to admit it. We don't want to admit we're prideful. We feel like we've conquered that. And so this struggle kind of goes on, but we want resolution. And sometimes we want resolution in the tension and the conflict that's there so bad that we will go on and on and on in order to wear the other person down, to get them to cave to our side and admit that we're right. Hello, bride, okay? 
that's what it is. There's, there's no other way to call that because you're not putting the interests of the other person above yourself. And so when it comes to this relationships, biblically speaking, what Jesus had to say about love and how relationships really work is really difficult, isn't it? It's much easier to be prideful. Let's be honest. It is. Most of our world does it. It's the natural default. It's the human condition left to ourselves. But it's challenging when it's something different. See, resolving uh, conflict does not happen like a sitcom. I wish it did. Because if you watch any sitcom, a 30-minute show, which is really 20 minutes with commercials, there's this conflict that happens at the beginning, and there's this tension and hurt that's inflicted, and then a couple commercial breaks later, everyone's hugging, and they're like, ah, it's all over. That's not real life, is it? For some conflicts, like, hey, you stole my Tootsie Pop. I'm sorry. Okay, we're over it. Um, but for other things, conflict's real, and it just takes some time. I asked you the question earlier, should you ever go to bed angry? For some of you, when you say no, what you're thinking of is probably Ephesians chapter 4. Here's the verse, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone ever heard that, read that before? Pretty powerful, straightforward, right? Can I show you Psalm 4, 4? Here's what it says. Do not sin by letting anger control you. Think about it overnight and remain silent. Which verse is right? As a pastor, I will argue both. If you're a stewer, meaning when you get hurt and you get angry, and you like to stew, and it's like this internal crock pot that you like to keep cooking and turning up the heat with because it gives you leverage in that relationship, and you like to hold on to it for a little while. Food can stay pretty good in a crock pot for a long time. Anger can stay pretty good inside you for a long time. If you're a stewer, then maybe that first verse is for you. Hey, do not let the sun go down. Don't carry this around because you... The point is, for both these verses, don't let anger control you. See, the issue at that moment is not the issue. The real issue is your anger. That's what the resolution needs to be before you ever solve the issue. If you're a spewer and you get angry and it's like instant for you and you're just spewing over everybody and everyone knows you're angry because you wear it on your sleeve, maybe Psalms is for you. And that you need to learn to say, look, I don't want anger to control me. That's the point of what Paul's saying and what the psalmist is saying. Is don't let anger control you. You have to own that. See, here's the truth I wrote. There's a difference between resolving your anger and resolving the issue. There's a difference between resolving your anger and resolving the issue. We need to resolve issues. We have to. We have to work on that. But rarely can we resolve the issue when we're still carrying around unresolved anger. 
That's why I think one of the most practical verses that I go over with every couple that I meet with uh, about marriage is real simply this, James chapter one, verse 19 through 20. You probably heard it, but here's what it says. Dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be what? I'm sorry, were you listening? Everyone should be what? Quick to listen. And what? Slow. Slow to speak and slow to become angry because anger does not produce the righteous life God desires. My mama told me like this, God gave you two ears and one mouth. Why do you think he did that? And when I was a kid, I was like, I don't know, balance out the head, I'm not sure. Um, Maybe in a culture that loves to talk and broadcast and speak and shout and yell, we should develop the discipline of listening. Jack, I listen. I listen real good. I listen for them to take a pause and their sentence, and I've got an arsenal ready to go. I'm listening, all right. I'm listening for them to take a breath. No, 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 no. You're listening to respond. You're not listening to receive. And there's a drastic difference. That's maybe the second thing. You gotta recognize the pride in your own heart and you gotta be responsible for you. The second one is listening to receive is far greater than listening to respond. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because when we let anger control us, we are no longer in control of the situation. That's when your amygdala can get hijacked. That's when you're not thinking rationally. That's when it's not about winning the heart of the other person, it's about winning. And then truly no one wins in that situation. Everyone gets wounded. We need to remember at times that the truth for us is kind of what we looked at in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, where it says, look, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, not yours, their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. We looked at that. That's how love takes action. That's how you begin to value other people, is you begin to listen to receive. Now, you can respond, but you're not listening to respond. You're listening to receive. If there's no ounce of credibility in what's being said, you can let that go. You don't have to own it. You don't have to carry it around. You can say, okay, I can see where you're coming from, but that wasn't the intention of my heart. Here's here's what it was. And you can have a conversation and you can meet each other in those ways that you can listen to receive. Maybe third is this, value kindness. Value kindness. I know some of you, Um, you value being blunt. And that's great. You're awesome at parties. You're a lot of fun. 
But if you don't have a deep-rooted value of kindness flowing in you and through you and how you relate to other people, your bluntness can do grave damage to people. And it can wound hearts and wound lives. And it doesn't mean you can't be direct. Jesus was full of grace and what? And truth. Grace and truth. Uh, maybe that's why Paul begins to write to the church in Colossians. He, a little section that he talks about evangelism. But there's a little phrase in here that's really powerful. It says, let your conversations be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. I think sometimes in our culture, in our own humanity, we, we flip that. Let your conversation be full of salt, seasoned with a little cherry of grace on the end. So we can have a 10-minute tirade with someone, ripping them to shreds and say, hey, I love you. And we think that's going to make it all better. And it's this challenge. Look, we've got to value kindness and how we interact. You can be a person of grace and truth. It isn't one to the exclusion of the other. It's both. But how you proportion that matters. You've heard the old phrase, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. it that matters. I love what Bob Goff says. <laughs> Don't let being right talk you out of being kind. We've got to keep that in mind as we begin to figure out how do we have conversations? How do we engage in the tension and the conflict that will be a part of every relationship? But how do we have kindness as an undercurrent to that? How do we keep that involved? Maybe fourth thing is this, believe the best. Believe the best versus assume the worst. In every relationship, there will be gaps between your expectations and someone else's performance or someone else's follow-through on those expectations. There will be a gap between that. Why? Raise your hand if you're perfect. That's why there's gaps. Because none of us are perfect. None of us are going to fully exceed expectations of everybody all the time, right? That's why there's gaps. But people who infuse their relationships with, I'm going to believe the best about you, instead of assuming the worst, live and build a relationship based on hope, not suspicion. There was a study, it's a crazy study, that was done with uh, couples and friendships in, in, uh, in North Carolina where professors got people together, maybe best buddies or best friends and couples, and they put them in three different groups of people, and they had kind of one person was going to lay in this chair, they had some wires hooked up to them, and the other person was standing by a table that had a button on it, right? In one of these groups, they told the first group, hey, uh, you're here, and your partner, your friend is going to be over here, and they are pushing this button, and, and you're like, well, I'm hooked up to wires. Yeah, you're going to get shocked. Um, and it's the same tension of shock between every group, and it's just, it may hurt a little bit, and thanks for signing up for the survey. And so, like, the first group of people, right, the person was there, and they, and they told them, the person in the chair hooked up to these wires said, listen, your partner, your friend is going to hit this button, and it's because they want you to win money. That's awesome. Okay, well, I'll deal with a little pain for that. And so they hit the button, right, shocked the person. 
This is a weird study. Um, and so the next group of people they brought in, and they explained, hooked them all up, explained the thing, and they said, okay, you're here, and you're gonna get shocked, and I know that's weird, and, and it's just, it is, uh, yeah, thanks for signing up. And then they got this person, and they convinced the person in the chair that this person had no idea what was gonna happen when they pushed the button. There was gonna be an accident, it was kinda like miscommunication, they had no idea. The third group of people was this person's hooked up to the wires, and this third group of people, they said, okay, your, your partner, your friend, they know exactly what's gonna happen. And they're looking forward to shocking you. And we've told them exactly what's gonna happen when they push this button, and you're just gonna lay here and take it. And so they would see their friend, or their partner over here, and they'd be like, <laughs> and you know, push the button, and shock, same shock through everybody. Guess which group of people felt the least amount of pain? Group one, group one. The one who said, hey, okay, they're doing this because you want to win money. There was something about believing the best. They just assumed that things were for their good. Listen, you're gonna be in relationships where you want to believe the best for others. You're gonna deal with conflict. You're gonna get shocked. Hopefully not literally, that's weird. Um, but you're gonna face shock in relationships. And the friendships and relationships that pour in the gap, when there's a gap there, and there will be, people who live with the context of saying, I believe the best, they are able to navigate conflict a little bit better. They're able to say, look, this is the way that I can work through this. These are some of the results that we can move forward in. And yes, it was shocking, and yes, it was harmful, but we're gonna make it. And so when it comes to this idea of relationships, maybe a couple of closing thoughts. Conflict is unavoidable. You don't want it to go underground. You don't want to never deal with it. But you gotta figure out your rhythm. You gotta understand, okay, how am I gonna value kindness? How am I going to believe the best in my relationships? How am I going to allow God to work on me that it's me owning some of my own issues that I've gotta work through? How do I believe the best in others? I, and I will say this too. I know sometimes there's relationships that will happen and even with the most godly intent and the best backdrop of relationship, the most loving part of it, you may still get to a place where resolution is difficult to find in and of yourselves. And I'll say it like this. I think healthy people seek out counsel. I think unhealthy people hide. There may come times in your marriage, there may come times in your relationships, in your friendships, where you need to work on resolution and you want that and you're trying all these things and it still seems like there's an impasse. It's okay to seek out counsel to help you move forward. That's not saying there's a weakness here. That's admitting you want this to be strong. That's owning this relationship. I'm gonna work on my stuff. And for the other person to say, I'm gonna work on my stuff, and we're gonna work on this together with some other wise counsel speaking into us so we can move forward together. This idea of forgiveness, I'll throw this in for free. Ephesians chapter four, uh, verse 32 says this, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Forgiveness must flow constantly in relationships to be healthy and whole and biblical and moving forward. I hope this is kind of helpful to you. Aren't you glad 
that we get to come to the table in communion here. And we're going to close with the song in a minute. That we follow a Jesus who lived this out. Who promises to never leave you nor forsake you. Who promises to empower you that you might grow your relationships. Wherever they may be, whatever they may be to be healthy and to be whole, to be moving forward together. That as you struggle to forgive, he can pour in the power to help you choose forgiveness. He can pour in the power to help you value kindness. Maybe more that the gift of sarcasm might not be the strongest gift to make relationships work well. They're fun. It's good for a laugh, but it could be really cutting. And we need to watch that, speaking to myself. (laughs) That we need to step into our relationships to to seek God's empowerment to that. And so I want to pray to that end. We're going to take communion here in a minute and uh, close with a worship song and then we'll be off into the night. But I want to pray for us. I want to pray for your relationships, for our relationships as a church family and that God would be in and through us and how we navigate conflicts that will arise because that's the reality of it. And so Father, I pray Uh, For all my friends gathered here, those who will watch online, I pray that every single one of us, God, there's something in here for us to own. There's something in in here for us to say, I want to get better at that. I pray, Holy Spirit, you'd show us what that is. What are some of those simple little steps we can begin to take this week to grow our relationships to a healthier spot, to help us navigate conflict when it arises? Jesus, we come to the table tonight to observe communion, to to hold that bread, to take that cup, to remember that it's your body that you, you gave for us the forgiveness of our sins. God, we are broken people. And in and of ourselves, we we lean towards self-centeredness. We don't get this relationship thing right most of the time. But with you, empowered through and by you, we can do better. I pray for my friends gathered here that you would help us to have healthy, strong friendships, healthy, strong marriages, healthy, strong relationships one to another. That we would put love as an action. We'd seek each other's best above our own. We'd encourage one another. We'd value kindness. We'd speak grace and truth to one another to challenge because it'll make us better that you guide us through the whole process, Jesus. As we observe communion tonight, would you empower us for this week ahead to live out strong, healthy, godly, and growing relationships? We ask that in Jesus' name.